Our communion meditation is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll only read two verses, verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, please, open our eyes to understand it anew, that we would always be uh, wanting and striving to live in submission to it. We give you thanks for this wisdom from your hand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is another in the series on table manners, and last week I forgot to do something, and I'll ask you to do it now before I kind of get into this message. Last week, the topic was periodicity or frequency of communion, and so what I wanted to ask was, we here practice weekly communion, but yet, have you ever been at another church, either a member or visiting, where they practice something other than weekly communion? So let's say monthly. If monthly communion, so how about quarterly? How about something other than quarterly, like annually even, something like that? I remember hearing Phil tell the story of the annual communion. That's a big event. Okay, I was just curious because I know uh, we've all been in various churches, and I know the OPC even went when people started putting pressure on them to go from their uh, quarterly, they relented. And they said, okay, every other month is allowed now. So I don't think I've ever been in a church that did it every other month. Okay. Now I want to read one more text, what I just read concerning this one cup of blessing. I want to read the institution of the Lord's Supper as recorded in Matthew. So this is Matthew 26, and I'll read two verses again, uh, 26 and 27. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, And gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. I only wanted to read those little portions of it. And so that's kind of a typical version. And that, I think, would uh, equate with what we read in 1 Corinthians 11 concerning the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, what I would ask you to see, and I would concede that appears very obvious, is that They partook what appears to be of the same cup. They partook what appears to be of the same loaf of bread that Jesus broke. So I'll just say right now, I'll concede that for now. Let me concede that for now and then ask you a couple questions. So the question I want to ask you, now I'm I'm conceding it for now, but I'm going to address something later. So now the question that I have is this. Okay, let's say this is exactly how it happened. But was this prescriptive? Or was it illustrative? Because there's a difference. And so we have to do things in the way that God wants us to do it. That's for sure. We want to do it in the way that God wants us to do it. But the question is, when do we go too far? When do we not go far enough? When are we trying to uh, write off what God wants? Because we know there's always this trend toward liberalism in the church. You can see it in the Old Testament. We experience it now in the New Testament era. So... When are the deviations acceptable because what the Bible made explicit was not prescriptive but illustrative, and when is it not? So I want to begin with this whole one cup, one bread thing because it has been 
a sticking point for many, many people throughout the history of the church. Churches and denominations have formed and split, and churches have had lots of uh, a disagreement over one cup versus many cups, or one bread versus crackers or anything else. So, I want to share with you, and now you know, many of you know, that I, my first church experience as a young believer at 19 was the Church of Christ. So I just flipped a coin, God directed me off the base, and I said, God, take me to a church. And he took me to this tiny, tiny little Church of Christ. And now the Church of Christ, if you're familiar with it, it's interesting. They have various practices, but the one thing that uh, they differ on is music, for one thing. This Church of Christ uh, stream uh, allows use of a piano. This Church of Christ stream does not allow the piano. This Church of Christ practices one cup. This Church of Christ practices many cups, little, the little things, you know. And so uh, what I found at the Church of Christ was I just happened into one that did not practice music, but did practice the many little cups. Now, in preparation for this, I happened to find a person that wrote up this rather, uh, rather a technical argument, a history on the Church of Christ. And he goes through many of the variations. I believe he's in the Church of Christ. And so he talks about how many things distinguish different churches in the Church of Christ. There are the two main streams, uh, musical instruments versus non-musical instruments. But beyond that, it's all really about fellowship and division, unity or disunity, in exactly what they practice or they don't practice. Even with the one loaf, they say, okay, there's the people that practice the one loaf. But then, do you break the one loaf into, big, into bigger chunks, or do you pinch a piece out of the loaf? They divide over that. And so, some think it inappropriate to break it in half and then have the halves go out. Oh, no, no. Christ isn't broken like that. We're all a piece of the body. So, everybody has to pinch from the one loaf. And then, of course, the one cup conundrum. Everybody has to have the one cup. They also divide over many other things. For instance, way back in the late 1800s, they divided extensively over Sunday school. Some were for it, some were against it, and it divided them. Uh, some were uh, very strict on divorce. There was no biblical caveat for divorce, even infidelity. Others were allowing for the infidelity, as Christ appeared to. Um, and then they differ over how to fellowship with others, even believers. So when, if they don't believe like we believe, do we fellowship with them or not? Or do we isolate ourselves from them? And if we do fellowship with them, how do we fellowship with them? All of these within the uh, Church of Christ were sources of contention. And so you can imagine, it's pretty tough. And this guy, I don't know if he meant it to be funny, but he would list them and alike, 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 difference, and then split. Alike, 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 difference, and then a split. It reminded me of that joke that Tom Collin told me long ago about these two Baptists running into each other. And they... they Oh, oh, and they find all these similarities, and they're, they're in, in great fellowship. And then finally, they got down to this one last thing where this guy was of the northern persuasion and that guy of the, of the southern persuasion, and they called one another heretics and walked off. It's just the nature of our world where we, we so want to be right that we forget about the purpose of it. And so these conscience issues are real. They affect these people. They affect these decisions, and they're driving them. People are very passionate about them. What, there's two things that strike me as really odd about this. First is that 
nearly all the churches of Christ switched to grape juice with nary a worry. I mean, it, that seemed odd to me. But that was culturally, I think, relevant at the time because you had this social stigma against fermented alcohol. And so it just fit in with the culture. So people were very unwilling to fight against that. I know mine we practiced with grape juice. But the other thing that I find ironic in the true sense is that we find so much division over communion, which is all about unity. Isn't that odd? We can find a thousand things to disagree about and to isolate ourselves from one another over concerning the thing that Christ meant to unite us. So you have to realize there's something very odd about this. And God knows it. And God knows we have to work through it. So that's what the purpose of this message is, to work through these things. All of these about table manners is to work through these. Let me give you a thought experiment. Imagine a setting 100 years ago, 150 years ago. You're here in Nebraska. You're in a small community. You're founding a very, very tiny church. And thankfully, you're all of whatever European descent came over, and you're all of one mind. You all want to do it this one way. And so you begin with this one cup, one loaf of bread. Now, it could be just practical because the church is small enough to where it's easy to do that. It just makes it simple. So now your church, you've got 20 people. They're all sharing from the same cup. They're all sharing from the bread. But then the church grows. You're blessed with economic growth in your community. They're moving into the church. So now we have 50 people. Now we have 100 people, 200 people. And so obviously there have had to be some considerations as to how to deal with this. You've got this one loaf of bread that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger to accommodate everybody. And so whomever's baking it is having to deal with this growth. That one chalice potentially was getting bigger and bigger and bigger to deal with it until finally it's like, okay, we've got to start the refilling process now. It's still the one cup, but now we need multiple fills of it. But what do you do when you have to go to two services? What do you do? It's a dilemma. To the degree that you have to remain true to Scripture, you're caught between a rock and a hard place now. And churches face that. I know we faced it early on when we were splitting into two way back in 99. We had some people that were so concerned about the unity. They were just like, why are we doing this? I don't like this. We have people going in different directions. It makes, it unsettles people. Rightfully so. None of us like to disunite until, of course, you must disunite because you don't see eye to eye on anything. But see... When you're in unity, you think, okay, no, no, the same, the same, the same, the one, the one, the one. Okay, now what I want to emphasize here is what is true. There is metaphor and symbolism in this, in this one cup, in this one bread. And these are wonderful things. Jesus used symbology and metaphor to teach all the time. But when we allow those metaphors and those symbols to displace the reality of what Christ meant by them, then we're just foolish. It will lead into foolishness. And so you must always be asking yourself, am I persisting in something to the extent where Satan is taking advantage of this and driving us apart needlessly? Now, there, I had emphasized one cup, one loaf. This symbolizes Christ, right? 
we know, too, that we are the body of Christ. So we are that loaf. So there is symbology then in the fact that that bread gets broken up into smaller and smaller pieces and administered to all of us as the body. So, for instance, a reasonable thing as opposed to us, like let's say we were one cup, one bread up here, one big loaf of bread. But we could have easily instituted multiple loaves of bread representing the different families. And so we've got little loaves of bread for each of the families. They could come up here, and and as we do, the, the head of household comes up typically... And we could give them a little loaf of bread to divide between their family. You know, there could be symbology in that. It's hard, though, for any one symbol to always satisfy all of the various ways in which God, in which you could actually apply it, and which God does biblically apply it. Let me read you from Luke. And I think you'll find this interesting. Luke 22, starting at verse 14. I'm going to read 14 through 18. Now, this is Luke's institution of the Lord's Supper. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Now listen, take this and divide it among yourselves. He handed them the cup of wine and said, Take this. And divide it among yourselves. Now that to me is not the one cup where they're all drinking from the same cup. Now later he has them drink, it's true. But he's already had them divide. So I just think that we could take any one portion of scripture and totally make it dominant. To the exclusion of having to fit in all the rest. And deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing what's right. And everybody else is wrong. Now, I read in that fellow's write-up earlier a portion where he's quoting this this, uh, Church of Christ guy, and he's saying, he says right there that he feels that anybody that divides the cup into smaller cups to distribute to the congregation is lost. That congregation is lost. They don't know the Lord. If they are such fools and so obstinate as to go clearly against the Word of God, you know... Uh, Ray's prayer was perfect earlier to uh, set this up because there is sin in everything. We sin. We're human. We're, we're fallen. And we want to do what's right. Even those of us that want to do what's right and are open to direction can differ from others that have the same passion for, for serving the Lord. And it's so easy for us then to judge by what we view as right, judge others. Now, when we have the word on our side, we use it. But yet, sometimes you get into the grayer areas like this where people are dying on hills they ought not be dying on. And people are insisting that others are eternally dying on hills, and that's just foolishness. That's just us then pretending to be God as opposed to being acting in submission to God. Now, Jesus took that cup. He instructed them to divide it amongst themselves. So I believe they poured it into their own cups. We here want to be biblical. We believe that this is warranted scripturally, that we can do it this way. But we're not going to judge others that do the one cup, one bread. Uh, There are a variety of ways in which we can still be uh, faithful to God and yet varying from one another in how we do this. The spiritual principle, though, is what many nowadays have lost. And that is we are one. In Christ. Christ is the one. And I think it's appropriate from both extents because we are the many. 
This represents our disunity as individuals, but yet united in Christ, united at this table. You can view the symbols in many ways. So let's not get wrapped around the axle in the little stuff, the factual stuff, the symbolic stuff. Let's focus on what God meant for it as real, where the rubber meets the road. Let's uh, take people to task over the things that really matter, where they're denying the sufficiency of Christ, for instance. Let's focus on stuff like that as opposed to fighting with our brethren over persnickety things like exactly how we divide up the bread and the crackers. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. And Lord, you could have written the Bible eminently clearly to where none of us could be confused at this point, but you obviously chose not to do so. You want us to wrestle through these matters. You want us to pursue the love of one another through the difficulties that we have in each trying to be faithful to you. And so we pray, Lord, for wisdom in doing this. We pray for your Spirit's uh, unity and the bond that uh, brings us together, that that would remain strong, that it would endure, that it would allow us to get together and discuss things politely, calmly, scripturally, to where we would do you honor and do you glory. We give you thanks now and ask you to be with us as we enjoy this table that unites us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.